0: Everybody, welcome to Canopy of Honor. I'm your host, Sandman Shane Sabuni, along with my good buddy, the Honorable Jeff. Hello. And you know, coming into this week, we were thinking we were going to cover Indie Mania Day One, of course, and but then also we had talked about covering the main event of last week's NXT, the final beat between Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa. Ugh. And then I watched it, and I watched NXT die. And I watched um, Johnny Gargano and um, Candice LeRae pull off their diabolical, ridiculous plan. And then I thought to myself, I don't feel like being negative for two hours on Tuesday night. So I told Jeff not to bother watching it. We're not going to cover it. Um, the only th- So the only thing I'll- other thing I'll say about it is if there are people out there that hated Randy Orton versus Edge but liked this match, they can go fuck off. Like they
1: forever. Can- You know, as far as I'm concerned, the Ciampa Gargano ended when Ciampa hurt his neck and came back as the antihero. To me, that is when the Champa Gargano feud ended. I hated the setup to this. I hated the way that, and yes, for those of you listening and, and pay attention, I am losing my voice again. Um, it was only six months ago I lost, well, wait, I guess it was almost eight months ago I lost it before, and I am losing it again. So hopefully quitting smoking today will prevent that from happening, but who knows? Only we'll find. really, really quit. I really, really quit this time. I haven't had one since noon, so we'll see. Since noon. <laughs> hey, that's a that's quite an achievement. That's seven and a half hours. Um. Anyway, so I to me, them force feeding us another Ga- Gargano Champa um, feud was. Not something I was looking forward to, so I'm actually glad because I had this odd feeling I was going to hate the match and have it ruin what I thought was the greatest feud of all time.
0: Yeah, it's 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 something because in you know in 2018 we had Tommaso Ciampa as our wrestler of the year, and I think as our character of the year, and we also had uh, Gargano versus Ciampa like up there in
1: feud of the year. Well, Matt Jackson was our wrestler of the year. I think Ciampa was four or five that year. Oh, right. was our character of the year. That's what, that's what yeah, was. He, he was absolutely our character of the year. He was our heel of the year, and that was the feud of the year. But I think that was the year we had John as the wrestler of the year.
0: It was. You're right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it, and it's just, the, you know, like like you said, I mean, they tried to recreate the magic twice. It didn't work well the first time. It was terrible the second time. And I just and, and to me, I mean, I, I you you I think got off the bandwagon a lot slower than I did. But I but it's been almost a year now that I've kind of been slowly souring on NXT. And, and yeah, so, and now you know this to me just you know you you and I had talked before about how I jumped off the Flash at a good stopping point. I recently jumped off the blacklist at a terrible stopping point. But <laughs> I think this is a good time for you to jump off NXT for good.
1: Well, the the thing with um like the Champa Gargano feud. They tried it that second time and I was curious where it was going to go, but I was irritated because Gargano was in the middle of this kind of slow, slow burn, not necessarily a heel, more of an anti-hero type. And I thought that fit well for his character. And then he turned on Chompa and everybody loved him again. And I was like, eh, um, so I don't know that I would have liked that feud, but it got stomped because of Chompa's injury. And then had this last feud, which started during a title match, and it made no sense. It, just, it was typical WWE booking to book a feud that was hot in the past just to see if we could get, recreate the magic. It was not good. As far as NXT goes, yeah, I think you kind of started to jump off the bandwagon after that Pete Dunne incident where he laid in the ring watching somebody walk away. Um, me, it was Mauro. It was way before that. Okay, well, for me, it was Mauro Ranallo. I cannot listen to him feign enthusiasm looking for the call, of the, a call that's going to last a lifetime on every single move that happens. You know, you get people like Joe Buck and his uh, Mark McGuire 70th home run call. You get, um, uh, and I can't even think of some of the names now, but that's the one that jumps out at me. And they're instant reactions from a guy who's not necessarily a great announcer. He just happened to have the perfect call at the perfect moment. Where Mauro Ranallo seems to be trying to create that perfect call at the perfect moment no matter what is happening or who's in the ring. And it just gets old. And I think that's where I jumped off the NXT bandwagon is because of that.
0: Yeah. Well, for me, it's, for me, it it started with the fact that I just couldn't get into the the Gargano um, Cole thing like everybody else did. And And I couldn't believe the way people were going gaga over even, even you. Um, and then, and then it, and but then it was just kind of, it started, to, like I said, like I mentioned before, just looked, just looked way too polished for me, artificial, inorganic. And uh, my buddy Sichuku I mentioned on this, on this show before, he's the one that got me into New Japan Pro Wrestling over, over again in 2013. And um, he now writes for What Culture, and he wrote something like. Does Shawn Michaels, just, just when, he, when, he's, when he's helping these guys up in the performance does he walk in and go, oh, hello, my props? <laughs> and that's exactly what it feels like, is that this is all Shawn Michaels trying to recreate his stuff and, and, and polish these guys to the point that they're not even
1: real people anymore. And yeah, I- but the problem was is that Shawn Michaels was a real person and his stuff was believable. So why are is he recreating situation or creating situations now that are not? Is he
0: because he wants them to be? He I think he's like living vicariously through them. So he wants them to be like he wants them to be perfectionists at doing what he what he wishes he could do in there.
1: And maybe that's it. That you know, and that I guess would make sense, especially when you think about it. A lot of Shawn Michaels. situations especially with stone cold and then later on with DX, um you know especially in his oh five run was a lot of that weird silliness that we're kind of getting out of nxt now
0: and if you want an example of what i'm talking about just go back three, two weeks on nxt and watch the triple threat match between uh dijakovic keith lee and uh the archer of infamy
1: and, yeah, that was maddening.
0: And uh watched those three guys all play to the crowd that wasn't there.
1: That was maddening. Um and <laughs> but the pro- the problem was is we saw that during um WrestleMania too. That was a amazing. lot of t- not just the latter match but also during a couple of the women's matches. You had um the wrestlers playing to a crowd that wasn't there and it was like when John Cena did it, it was kind of in a mocking um, light, but it seemed like when during that latter match, especially with the crowd popping moments, it felt more like they just didn't know how to not do it.
0: Especially at the very end of that match where it wasn't even a spot. I mean, it was a spot that started it, but when uh, Morrison fell down with both belts and Kofi Kingston and Jimmy Uso both kind of looked around at the crowd in shock.
1: Like, yeah, what should we do? Yeah. I, I, um, that ladder match annoyed me, and I know there's people that loved it, and, and you know, to each their own. Some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. I personally hated it because I felt like that was one of those matches that cannot happen without a live crowd.
0: Now, all that said, <laughs> I do have to say that Yoshirai facing Charlotte for the NXT women's championship is fucking intriguing as hell. And so is the fact that they're now doing a eight man G one climax style tournament for it to become the the interim NXT, uh, cruiserweight champion.
1: I am annoyed at the, um, Io Shirai stuff simply because we've had Charlotte face turns before and they're never as good as her heel runs. She, like her father, is a natural heel, and does her best work when she's a heel. So seeing her as a face again does not make me happy. Does not intrigue me even slightly.
0: I don't think Charlotte's going to be the face in that. Yoshirai is um, has gradually been going not towards face, but to being a um, an antihero, a tweener. So okay. I, so I really don't so I really think it's going to be more uh, anti-hero versus heel than anything else.
1: I really hope that's the case because I don't know that I can stomach another Charlotte run, uh, face run. Granted, we're not watching NXT like we used to, but I'll still check out the takeovers and things like that.
0: I'm not sure that I will. I'm really not.:
1: eh, If I can still check out Ring of Honor every now and then, I think I can still check out NXT. I'm not going to be as devoted as I was by any stretch, but I'll still check it out here and there.
0: I guess when I, I guess what I, I guess what I, for me, I look back over the last 18 months and the only time I've enjoyed a takeover wasn't, wasn't even a takeover. It was that, uh, worlds collide.
1: Yeah, that was good. I think that might've been the last good one.
0: I didn't enjoy most of war games either. I don't, sorry, sorry. Remember. I remember I, I liked the women's match. I didn't like the men's match and you were the other way around, but I don't think, um, but I don't think for the most part, part, I enjoyed that card.
1: So. Yeah. But anyway, on yeah, to, no, to yeah, so really, so anyway, really, really on, good.
0: When we were, why we're not talking about, we're not talking about
1: 20 minutes about why we're not going to be negative And we're negative as hell. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to the positive. <laughs> Indie mania. What did you think?
0: You know, I meant to pull up the match rundown because I I watched it a week ago, and I so I don't I don't have the, the freshness in my mind like you do, but I loved it. I I didn't love I mean, there I didn't love all of it. Like I didn't love Lashley being on there, but <laughs> and I wasn't and I wasn't a big fan of the. I never am a big fan of anything Alicia Edwards does, but uh, you know it was nice to see Chris Statlander on an indie show. Um, but I, for the most part, I loved it.
1: I was okay.
0: Especially, I I especially lo- loved the first match. The second match and the
1: main event. I was going to say, I love the first two matches. I love the last two matches. Everything in between was, eh, it was fun to watch. I, I enjoyed, enjoyed seeing Justin size again. I enjoyed seeing rampage. I enjoyed seeing, um, you know, Bobby Lashley in another squash match, which I guess he's still kind of doing. Um, you know, there were a lot of,
0: well, I mean, I don't know why we're talking about his bedroom stuff, Ba-dum-tush.
1: I can't even give that acknowledgement that was just <laughs> bad <laughs> but um you know that those first two matches were absolutely stellar, absolutely stellar i the um the intro with uh jordan devlin and and David starr uh, made me laugh and there, there was so much greatness to it. Uh, I, I guess I'm in the minority here when I think that, uh, Jordan Devlin kind of looks like a tall hornswoggle and it's been bugging me for years and I couldn't figure out why, but that's kind of dawned on me that he's got that really squishy, almost dwarfism face. Uh, and nothing against you, Jordan. You're a hell of a wrestler. You're one of my favorites. But let's be honest. Um, he he looks to me like a tall Hornswoggle. I, I love the interaction they had in that match. I love the low-key in his professional gimmick.
0: See, I, see I'm so that you even mentioned Hornswoggle on our show.
1: <laughs> I figured that would be the case. But I, I just, that match was just, it was, it was fantastic. Uh, Walter wasn't—he was that overbearing beast, but he wasn't unstoppable. Um, David Starr is still probably the best independent wrestler out there that hasn't been signed anywhere, um, you know. And and Jordan Devlin—it was nice to see him as an up and comer. So I, I, and of course, I—I I really did like that low key professional gimmick, and I wish that was one that he had stuck with.
0: Yeah, I thought it was great, and I, and I thought it was great. You know, when we saw him with a professional gimmick in MLW, it was almost, you know, and, he, and he's still actually running with that, isn't he? Um,
1: he's still, no, uh, huh?
0: Oh, no, he's not. That's right. Okay. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, that he, you know, he basically was just strictly a bruiser and a brawler and a striker. Um, here, he was blending his, his uh, cruiserweight style or X-Division style in with that, and I, and I thought it worked really well.
1: Yeah, I, that that might have been one of my favorite matches on the night. Um, if it wasn't for that main event, it probably would have been.
0: I still am going to be partial the Shibata versus E.S.J. over that one.
1: That was a great match. What, it, was the and,
0: to, what was the next to last match on the show? The semi, the semi-main, so
1: to speak. Uh, I'm looking it up. It might not have been what I was thinking of. I might have been thinking that might have been the women's match with Lisha Edwards.
0: I'm trying, I'm trying to find a match
1: and you know, I think I might have found one here. It might not have been the one I was thinking of. Oh, seriously. Come on. All right. We had ZSJ versus Shibata, which was a five star match. No question. Um, Walter Lowkey versus Devlin the Star, which was great. Um, Tony Storm and Wesna, I could have done without. Oh, yep, I did get it r I did get it um confused. I was thinking of a different one.
0: That was actually I actually really liked Tony Storm versus Wes.
1: I was I was actually thinking of the Justin Seism Rampage Brown match that happened right before because that was Statlander versus Lisha Edwards. And I really did like the Seism Brown match. I thought that was really well done. I also really liked the Lucas Steele versus uh John Klinger match. Yuta versus Yehi was actually fun too, but in a weird sort of way. It was fun because it was it was interesting watching the fans actually leaning on the ring. Like I've never seen that before, where fans are are so close to the action that they're, you know, they've got their arms rested on the ring apron.
0: I really enjoyed that match for a couple of reasons. Number one is I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, number two was was like you said that one. That reason, but also, but also it was kind of fun, fun, cool to see two guys that we had first experienced in MLW facing off in a beyond ring and actually showing what they could do.
1: Yeah, it, it was nice seeing Utah and he was Jimmy in MLW's Wheeler and, and beyond championship wrestling, but it was fun watching what he could actually do. Cause I always felt like he had his hands kind of cuffed in MLW and it showed in this match. So and way. the nice thing about this match too is it's not that old. This was done on New Year's Eve of 2019, so it's only five months old. So it's after he, le- after both Yehai and Yuda left MLW,
0: or stopped being used at least.
1: Right. Right.
0: Because that, that was so weird. Because um, Yehai, you know, joined Team Filthy when Team Filthy went from being the heel stable to being a babyface stable. You know, he was recruited into there, and then we never saw him again.
1: Well, and shortly after he was recruited, he got injured. And then the storyline went with Simon Gotch turning on, uh, on um, Tom Lawler and Lawler turning face, so they probably never brought him back again because it didn't make any sense. But I did. That was that was a match I really liked. Um, the Lashley Bailey match was eh, was another Bobby Lashley yawn fest. As much as I like Tony Storm, I could not get into that women's match. I really liked Lucas Steele versus John Klinger. Um well, you know
0: the reason I liked that match was I is, it was was because of Tony Storm. Like getting a chance to see her outside of her WWE shackles and see and I and I'm always like and, and the only thing I haven't liked about her is her storm zero looks so weak. Right. <laughs> you know, it looks like it can finish him to off. And, and then the, when the storm zero was actually a snap pile driver <laughs> and, you know, it made so much more sense to me the way that she wrestles and, and who she is. You know, so I, that, that was, that was really eye opening to me and I enjoyed it.
1: I absolutely loved Justin Seizem versus Rampage Brown. Um, up until, uh, the professional, uh, Nathan Cruz showed up. I, I, Felt like right before Defiant uh, ended their little run, which was, what, April of last year, Um, that this is kind of where they were going with it, getting a Justin Sizem Sizem versus Rampage Brown match, and we never actually got it. So for me, it was a little bit of payoff from that Defiant uh, storyline that was started and never finished. But it was also just a really good match. I never realized how good Justin Sizem really is in the ring.
0: When was that match from? Wasn't it? Wasn't it be from before
1: Defiant? Yep. Well, it it was. It wasn't before Defiant, but it was before they really got into it. it the match itself was uh, from December fourteenth of eighteen, and it was around March of nineteen when they started to really get into a Justin Sizem Rampage Brown gimmick or you know, a showcase. On uh, on Defiant because that was when Brown joined uh, Rory Coyle and Justin Sizem was trying to keep him from joining Rory and they were really starting to to develop their chemistry and show what they could do in Defiant but we never got it because Defiant folded.
0: See, cause I th- the reason I asked is because I thought Nathan looked a lot uh, younger than we'd seen him in Defiant, but apparently he wasn't that much younger.
1: No, he was <laughs> same age. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like two or three months. It wasn't wasn't that much. Um, Statlander Edwards was okay for what it was. Like you said, it was nice to see Statlander. Um, Alicia Edwards, I'm confused. Like, why have a hoodie on your wrestling gear? Didn't make sense to me.
0: I have no idea. I I never, I don't understand, you know, why Alicia Edwards exists or why she's married to Eddie Edwards, you know?
1: Well, she's married to Eddie because she's hot.
0: (laughs) No, she's not. She's aggressively unattractive. We've had this conversation.
1: Uh, that's right, we have. But I that mean, one was... would
0: be hot if, if, like, she didn't put makeup on that emphasized all the all the uh, downsides of her attractiveness.
1: I think the match that I was the most impressed with, and yeah, you're right. I mean, the Shibata-ZSJ match, even though that was, you know, four and a half years ago, it was nice to sh- see Shibata in the ring. It was when he was at his peak. Um, ZSJ was really kind of an up and comer, but not where he is now. So, <laughs> as great as the match was, it it if it were to happen today, it would probably be ten times better. No, but if that it was today.
0: Shibata may not be able to do much in there.
1: Yeah, that is true. I guess he was what thirty six at the time.
0: Yeah, but he's also he has also had a concussion. And hasn't wrestled
1: for three years. Right, but I'm just saying, you know, if they were both still, if they were both still active, and that match were to happen now, with ZSJ's um, continued improvement and Shibata, had he even maintained the same level, that match would have been so much better. It was a great match. It was a five star match. But I, I think, I and you know what? No, I don't even think. I thought that was a great match. Absolutely great match. But for me, the highlight of the match, and it was one that I actually watched twice because I thought it was so good, and it just shows how great Will Osprey is because we're used to seeing him in great matches against uh, Okada in great matches against uh, um, Naito and great matches against Kota Ibushi and great matches against uh, Hiromo Takahashi. To see him in a great match against Dowie James was just telling of how great Will Ospreay is right now. And this match happened a week and a half after he lost to Takahashi.
0: Yeah, I knew it was shortly after. I didn't know exactly what the date, what, you know, what, the, t- what the time frame was. But, it was uh,
1: January 11th. So it was, week, you know. exactly a week then. Yeah, it was a week. So the fact that, he walked in out of you know putting on a five star classic with takahashi and then walked into a match against Dowie James and put on a five star match as well it it just it solidifies how great of a wrestler will Osprey is at this point in his career
0: yeah that's pretty dang awesome um, yeah i mean you know I'm, i guess I guess I have a hard time. <clears throat> Fully siding with you on that, just because I don't know how, good, how, how way James is. I mean, maybe he goes out there and has these kind of matches every time out. He That's the national platform to to show it. But I, but I, thought, you know, I definitely thought they were very well matched, and I thought they they both you know kicked ass in it. And yeah, it was it was definitely a five star match, no question. So I I just. And, you know, just for the recency and, and uh, for the, you know, just for the recency and how great Osprey has been lately, I probably would have to say this is probably my, my match of the show as well. But I still really love ZSJ versus Shibata.
1: Yeah, know? and a lot, of, a lot of that, and I'm kind of siding with you on that, too, but a lot of that, I think, is because Shibata was our favorite Like, not even close. There wasn't a second. You know, we had, uh, obviously, AJ Styles was high on our list, but that was, you know, once he'd moved to WWF in 14, that kind of dwindled a little. Um, But at that time, in 2016, Shibata was our hands down. He was the best wrestler in the world. Both of you and I loved everything he did. He could do no wrong. And then he was taken from us right when we thought he was about to hit that pinnacle. Okay, so I let's, think
0: let's not say it that way. He took himself away from us.
1: I, yeah, I guess I. Yeah, that's not. I guess, especially with what I watched today, that's probably the wrong choice of words. But, um, his career unfortunately ended quicker than we had hoped. Um, and because of that, we really never got that closure with him. So, seeing him in a ring, seeing him perform at the level that we remember, i th- I think might have put because i I'm kind of there with you, too. It was hard for me to pick this Osprey Dowie James match ahead of that a lot of it was because of the feeling that I have for Shibata. Like I never got that closure. I never saw him on the downside of his career. Like Ric Flair, I saw on the downside. AJ, I'm seeing on the downside. Jericho on the downside. You know, Shibata was at the top of his game when he got that injury. So we never really saw him decline. So seeing him in the prime of his career as everything that we remembered about him from four years ago, I think put a little more nostalgia twist on it than maybe should have been.
0: That's fair. Um, the other thing with Shibata is, while we're talking about him, is that, uh, and this won't be the last time we talk about him tonight, um, huh. but um, the, um, the other thing with him is that you and I relate to the party with New Japan Pro Wrestling. You know, we start, right. you know, we start, I started watching him again in two, 2013. I think maybe you were a year or two after that. Um, and, and the thing is that we weren't part of him coming up as one of the three musketeers and then leaving to go into MMA and then coming back. So we right. didn't have that same baggage that a lot of New Japan Pro Wrestling fans did. So we were just able to, to judge him on what he was doing and just kind of fall in love with his style.
1: Well my first my first ever Shibata match is still considered my favorite match of all time. And that was that never never bout at Wrestle Kingdom ten against Ishii. Again, not
0: the not, not the last time we'll
1: talk about that match tonight. But I, you're yeah, and I, I know where you're going with it too, but um that match was my first experience to Shibata. And to me, that is still You know, what are we, five years later? Mm -hmm. And it's still probably my favorite match of all time. And every time I watch that match, every time I, you know, think about that match, I still get the same feelings. So a lot of it for Shibata, for me, that was my introduction to Shibata. And to see everything that he did for the next two years after that, before his injury, it, it just, he became that quintessential wrestler to me and the fact that he, you know, left before he really hit that stage before he really got that championship before he, you know, had the downfall, he's always going to have that soft spot spot in my heart. So when I see a match between him and anybody, I'm immediately going to give it a star higher than it is just because of the nostalgia part.
0: Um, Shibata versus versus Okada, the match where Shibata was, that was Shibata's, ended up being Shibata's last. Um, before I really took into account the emotional my my emotional reaction to him um, losing and the fact you know and the fact that what he did you know really taints that match was my favorite match of all time. I still. And, and i, I and still I, remember you ever i don't think you've ever been able to bring yourself to watch it if I'm
1: not no mistaken. and I never will that's that's one of the few things that i say I never will and I actually never will but i remember i remember you saying after you know after he got injured that you were done with wrestling because you know you're now your favorite is done you know because it was like that was the Shibata injury was so traumatic for you because you had lost your absolute favorite, that you were, at that point, you were done. You weren't going to watch wrestling anymore.
0: I did feel that way for, I don't know, it probably took me was, two months before I watched another match.
1: So. I think that might have been the end of the, the first run of, well, the first run of our show was about that time, wasn't it?
0: That's very possible.
1: And I think a lot of it had to do with that. Well, that yeah. and all the ridiculous technical issues.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was the second time that I've lost... Um my favorite wrestler due to a tragedy, the you know, the first time being Chris Benoit.
1: Yeah, and it it, it was actually the third for me because my first was Ben uh it was Eddie Guerrero.
0: You know what? Maybe Brett would count for that too, so maybe it was my third.
1: <laughs> I don't know, because I never really felt like we lost Brett. And, and i I think a lot of it was because Brett was on his way down. He was not the same guy he was in WCW. So to me he felt more like he was on his way down when he he got that concussion and had to retire. Yeah. Than than people like Eddie and Chris and um Shibata were. You know, and that could actually probably bring us into the next thing that I I'm having a hard time with because I haven't finished it. And, and I know we <laughs> talked about the Chris Benoit story briefly a couple weeks ago, how you'd watched it. And I, at that time vowed, I would never I watch, watch it. it yeah. Uh, but I had vowed I would never watch that. And um, unlike that final Shibata match, uh, I ended up watching it. And uh, I think I've got about a half hour left of the second episode. And the first episode was kind of a nice recap of his career and his, you know, his life with Nancy and everything. The second episode really started to drag on me. And, and I guess I don't know if it's going to change in the latter half of it. But the first half of it has me literally pissed off at not only, you know, his closest friends and the things that Jericho and Malenko said about him. But at the WWE as his employer, it, it just, you know, and then Jim Ross too. You know, there was a statement by Jim Ross. It, it, and at this point everybody knows the story. We all know about, uh, you know, Benoit and, and the horrible tragedy that happened and and yes, I'm still going to call it a tragedy because Ultimately, that's what I believe. You know, well,
0: he. Of it, it was a tragedy, <clears> right?
1: Well, yeah, but not just that. I mean, people are looking at murder, suicide, blah, blah, blah. When you look at all of the signs that Chris Benoit was showing, it wasn't just he is sad because he lost his quote unquote work wife. This is a profession and this is a profession that we love, we cover, we cheer for. We sit here and judge. But ultimately when you look at these guys, especially in the WWF, especially at that time, these guys are pulling 300 to 320 days a week where they're working. They're they're running matches. They're on the road with their friends, you know, and Eddie and um Chris had been 90 what 93 was when they started really wrestling against each other and I know they didn't like each other in the beginning but they grew to love each other they worked together in ECW and AAA and and New Japan and um you know and then again in WCW and WWE and they became unbelievably great friends for nobody, nobody alive can relate to that kind of loss. Uh, For Eddie, it was like losing a partner, you know, uh, the love of your life, your, your literal spouse. Um, and to Chris losing Eddie, that's the way it was. And, For people like you and me, we have our work, you know, friendships at work. Some of us have those friendships outside of work, but ultimately you and I, we talk a lot during the week. We talk at work, we talk outside work, but we also have our other things going on. Eddie and Chris were tied at the hip for decades and they were the only people they knew. They hung out together. They worked out together. They wrestled together. They prepared matches together. They ate together. They you know, basically slept in the same rooms together. They were inseparable. I cannot imagine losing somebody that I had that close of a bond with. And me, I've gone through my own personal tragedies. You know, I had, when I was, uh, you know, 21 years old, I had a fiance who was pregnant with my child at the time who ended up dying in a car crash. She was late to my house. I lived out in the middle of nowhere. So I went out looking for her and I found her in the ditch. She was a fiance, somebody that I had, you know, known forever or not known forever. I'd, you know, I'd known her for a couple of years. She was my fiance, you know, pregnant with my child and so on. But I had not had 20 some years of that closeness. I had a couple of years of that closeness. And that messed me up to a point where if I hadn't had my friends step in and say, dude, there's something wrong, go seek help. You know, or, you know, come and talk to me, talk me down, talk me off ledges, had my employer, my employer at the time, I was a part-time employee and my employer came to me and said, you need to take time off. That never happened with Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit was on a plane to a show in Europe hours after his 15 year partner died and they buried him and they buried Chris Benoit or I'm, I'm sorry, they buried Eddie Guerrero and Chris was on that flight. At some point, Vince McMahon should have stepped in and said, Chris, you need to take some time off. Take a couple of weeks, take a couple of months, do what you need to do. You're listening. I'm listening to these, these stories from Dean Malenko from, um, you know, William Regal, Chris Jericho and all these guys saying, oh, we knew something was off. Well, motherfucker, why didn't you step in? Why did you not step up and say, Chris, you're my friend and I'm worried about you. William Regal was, uh, you know, and Chris Jericho had said, well, when I saw William Regal's um, speech on that, on that show, I, I I realized something was wrong. William Regal, you know something's going on. You live in the same town with him. You see, there's an aggressive side coming out. Why didn't you step up and say something to Vince and say there is something going on here that he is not the same guy. He needs help. And then you and you look at you know not just those aspects, but everyone else. You had Nancy reaching out to Vicky Guerrero saying, can you check on Chris? Something is wrong. I need to know he's okay. You had Chris uh, uh, Benoit kind of not being the same guy in the workplace. So many signs that something was wrong and nobody did anything. Nobody, they just sat on their hands and were like, ah, whatever. Do your thing, man. Um, And then to hear people like Jim Ross say, well, we had this tribute show, but we didn't really know what was happening. We didn't really know the, the severity of it. Don't make fucking apologies because WWE put out a tribute show. Embrace that. Chris Benoit was a hell of a person, a hell of a wrestler, a hell of a father, and a hell of a husband who got caught up in his own emotions, and nobody cared. Everyone just sat back and let him do his thing. It's no wonder he snapped. I would have probably done the same thing had people not stepped in for me. It just... Watching the second half of this, I know you had your feelings on it, and I know you might have had a different feeling on, on Chris afterwards, but for me watching this, from my history and from my personal um I, situations I've gone through, I may have had a different take on it, because if there hadn't been people for me stepping in when I went through my tragedies throughout my life, who knows where I would have ended up. And I felt like as I'm watching this and listening to everybody's portrayal of what's going on and, you know, the, the Jim Ross apologists and, and Jericho saying, well, I knew something was wrong. And, and William Regal on his speech saying, yeah, you know, I respect you as a wrestler and, and all this stuff. But nobody actually stepping up and stepping into it and saying, Chris, how can we help you? It just it kind of touched me in a nerve that I, I don't know I'm gonna watch the rest of it I probably will I I just I kind of had to get that out there
0: they actually ended they actually ended on the best note on the best positive note possible so it might be worth
1: it to see through the end to see what happens all right I probably will uh, but it just but, but, it, it was um, one of those things that was really really kind of weighing on me kind of heavy because I've been in situations I've, you know, I I've dealt with depression my whole life. I've dealt with, you know, loss and tragic loss, not just loss, but tragic loss. And to know the, the level of friendship and everything that he and Eddie had, I could not imagine losing that level of friendship that, I mean, that level of friendship is beyond marriages There's marriages where people don't spend that kind of time together. So to have that kind of loss um, really kind of stuck with me. And then to see the way that, um, you know, he was clearly in pain, but being uh, the bad guy, you know, he's the alpha male. He's in this profession where you're supposed to be this strong alpha male. And he never, of course, sought help. He just tried to work through it, and you can't work through that. You just can't. So yeah, you
0: know, you know what what strikes me about it is that, like, you, like you said, I mean, guys like um, Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko, um, Chavo, even who had kind of become, you know, Chris's default best friend after Eddie, you know, passed. And and then Vicky, who sat there with Chris like crying in her arms, and didn't like tell him, you know, you need to go get help, um, or like call WWE and say, hey, he needs help. It, I mean, that's that's all things that should have happened. And and you know, I mean, you 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 don't want to you know step in, you don't want to step in somebody else's life. You don't want to, um, you don't want to you you, you don't want to get in, in their business. But at the same time, if you don't, then something then then something could happen where it's too late for
1: Well, it's, and, it's and, not.
0: And, and, and as far as the WWE goes, for them to not have stepped in and told Chris to take time off is absolutely ridiculous. When they did it twice a year before that, you know they would not to <laughs> an Angle because he would not go to rehab. You know they they let him, they let you know one of the greatest wrestlers in the, in the history of their company walk away because he wouldn't get the help that he needed. And at this, and then also like right around that same time, you know, they they took the belt off Rob Van Dam because he had the the, the driving while high incident, and then they made him go to rehab too.
1: So but for, they them, let... not,
0: for, them, for them to not tried any of that with Chris Benoit a year later is just completely irresponsible and and ridiculous.
1: And I think the part that is really kind of getting to me is the fact that not only did they not do anything, <clears throat> but they've tried to wipe him from their memory. You know, they're looking back now, oh, we made this tragic mistake because we put on this memorial to him without having the all of the facts and all of the details. You know what? At some point, I get it. I get it. You're trying to preserve public image. You're a publicly traded company. At the time, you were entering the PG era, so you had to kind of distance yourself from those things. But as human beings own up to your mistake to wipe him from your history when you had all those signs for years that there was an issue and you did nothing. Own up to your mistake. Put him back on the network. Put a best of of him. I know it's not the best public image to portray, but at the same time, take some responsibility for what you did wrong too. And don't put all the blame on Benoit. Yeah,
0: you know, the other thing I wanted to say about this is... um, if this hadn't been Chris Benoit doing this, it would have been somebody else. You know, it was it was always going to happen because of <coughs> the, because of the stuff going on. You know, the the drugs, the um, the combinations of drugs. You know, the cocktails that they're taking, mixed with the rage, mixed with the you know the on the on the road stuff. Um, it, it didn't even it didn't have to be something like like Eddie and Chris's relationship that would cause something like this to snap. It, you know you know the the head the head trauma. The, um, the the lack of time off, the always traveling on the road, um, you know, like I said, the drug cocktail. I mean, all that all that's a lethal combination, that, and that, that always it's always going to end in tragedy in some way, shape, or form. And it's and it was only a matter of time until something like this happened. It sucks that it was Chris Benoit that did it, right? But but this but I but I just don't, but I, I just would not be surprised. You know, it's not something that I think. If you look at all the factors involved, you can you could say. Oh, nobody could ever have seen something like that ever, ever happening in the world of
1: progress. You know, and, and I still think the part that bothers me the most is me as a part-time hardware clerk at Kmart. My bosses stepped in and said, you're not handling this well. Take some time off. They gave me some paid vacation. They said, you work 30 hours a week. We're going to pay you for 30 hours next week. Take some time off. Um, There's no reason and no excuse for Vince McMahon to do the same thing for Chris Benoit. He knew the level of relationship that uh, Eddie and Chris had. There were so many signs, not just from him, but other wrestlers noticing things about Chris that at some point – And I'm not putting this all on Vince. I think other people, William Regal, he had noticed some things going on because he lived in the same hometown with Nancy and Chris. He noticed things. Jericho noticed things. Malenko noticed things. Um, Vicky noticed things. At some point, somebody should have stepped up and said, Chris, we need to take this action before something tragic happens.
0: And Jim, I, I, Ross, and Jim Ross is one of those guys that should have done it too.
1: And the fact I, that know, Jim you know, Ross. You know,
0: you, you know, he's VP of talent relations.
1: Well, I think Ace Young was at the time.
0: Johnny Ace?
1: Yeah, Johnny Ace, I'm sorry, yeah. Okay. I think okay. Johnny Ace was at the time. But even still, you had... um. But who,
0: but who was the guy that hired him? It was, it was
1: Jim Ross. <coughs> it was Ross, yeah. And it, Ross, I think Ross's little testimonies might have been the one, and I... I've had a love-hate relationship with Jim Ross since '96. You know, I love him at times. I hate him at times. You know, I critique his commentary. I critique the way he approaches things. The you know the fact that he doesn't seem to give the the right amount of homework that he should towards certain things, like like he did with New Japan. Um, but ultimately. The interview that he gave in this second half, the part that I've watched, I've only watched half of it, but when he's screaming, we didn't know at the time, we didn't know, we went with the information we had. It's like, Jim, own up to the fact that you could have done something too. You knew Benoit. You knew that he was going through something personally in his head that he couldn't escape from. You can't spend that kind of time with somebody and not know. It's like, you and I, you're probably my best friend right now. Uh, you know, we talk a lot during work. We talk a lot outside of work. It's not just wrestling. It's music. It's life. If you noticed something about me that was so far off from my normal, would you not say, hey, dude, what's wrong? Of course I would. Exactly. And for people like Ross and Jericho and Benoit and or not Benoit, but Malenko and Vicky and, you know, all these other people that are friends with Chris that spend 300 and some odd days with Chris a year to not step up and say, dude, what's wrong? Do you need help? Do you need to talk? Do you need some time off? It just it irritates me.
0: I get it. dude. I I really get it. And um and you know the other thing is that you know Jim Ross saying, you know we you know talking he's t- talking specifically about the tribute show, saying we didn't know the circumstances before we aired them. they knew all three of them were dead. They knew that Chavo Guerrero had gotten those text messages from um, from Chris Benoit, and so did whoever else he was traveling with. I can't remember the name, who it was. Um, I,
1: maybe that's where I got the Chris Young part from because it was somebody last name was Young.
0: Okay, and and it's like. Okay, so but you knew this was, a, this was also suspicious circumstances, and you're still airing the tribute. I mean, I mean, yeah, maybe you didn't have any other maybe you didn't have any other good ideas on time except for just not airing a show. But I mean, to to just say we didn't know all the circumstances, well, you, well, you didn't, you also didn't look into it either.
1: No, exactly. So common,
0: common sense would tell you that. I mean, I mean, I think I knew around. I started hearing this stuff around. I think like, in raw airs airs I mean, in our area at seven o'clock at night. I think I started hearing stuff like stuff about, you know, that this might have been a murder suicide at like five thirty in the in the afternoon that day. I didn't want to believe it, you
1: know. Well, even Chavo, even Chavo, to say, well, you know, I got on the air and I cut my promo knowing that my friend had died. Um, and not knowing anything else, it was like, to me, that was more of a cop out. I, I honestly, when I was watching this second half, I'm starting to think this is more of a WWE apologist video than it is a true documentary. Because when you've got all of these. Well,
0: WWE didn't have anything to do with
1: this. No, but just the way that it's coming across where even Chavo is like, well, I didn't know what had happened at the time. So I went on the air and I talked about my friend and it's like, dude, he was still your friend. Are you feeling guilty because you didn't do anything to step in when you knew how close your uncle and he were? You know, in the in the first half of the video though in part 1 he's talking about when he told Chris that that Eddie had died and Chris was wailing on the phone and he'd never heard anything that scary he'd never heard anything like that right. you obviously knew something was wrong and you didn't do anything you knew when he said uh chavo i love you that something was wrong, and you're like, "Oh, I, you know, that was weird, really," and you still went on with your day and just went to sleep, and then woke up at three in the morning to some weird text message, and did nothing. Yeah, you know, I it, know, it just—I know—I I know. I was like, I, I was like that too. I was like, "What?" It just to me, it, it's striking a nerve where it's like there's so many signs. And nobody did really anything about it, and that that just bothers me.
0: And now you know why I just can't ever watch that show ever again.
1: I'll I'll never watch the show again. I'll will you know I'll finish it just because I, you know I've only got like twenty minutes left, and I want to be a little more pissed off. And hopefully, if there's a light at the end of the tunnel, like you said, maybe I'll feel better. But it's not changing any of the way that I feel about Chris Benoit. And Chris Benoit's art and Chris Benoit in the, the performer he was. Good. I mean, to me, he's still one of the greatest performers of all time. I, I still have no regrets over the, the Patreon show that we did where we highlighted his career. There's nothing that has changed for me on a professional level with him. On a personal level, I'm relating a lot to what he went through and I'm sad that people did not step up the way that they should have.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, and and like I said, I I, I don't even know how you can, how you can see, you know, lesson learned or, you know, the, the wellness policy would have prevented this because they already had that kind of stuff in place with guys like with Rob Van Damme and Kurt Angle. They still didn't step up and take
1: care. care And didn't Orton get, uh, didn't Orton and Kennedy get, Um, suspended around that time, too?
0: I don't remember, but Kennedy sounds right. I'm not sure about Orton.
1: I think Orton, that was his second suspension where he was out for 30 days or 60 days or whatever. But I know that that's kind of what led to Kennedy's release was around that time, too. Yeah. So, I don't know. All right, back back to uh, positivity now, guys. Well, for a few minutes,
0: we were going to talk about you know our our best wrestlers we've seen this year. But we've only got about five minutes left of the show, so maybe we should just uh, save that for another time.
1: Yeah, we could probably do that. I think we learned, uh, this this whole thing with um, the Chris Benoit stuff kind of came up last minute because I was killing time um, and watched the show, and then you know ended up having some personal attachments to it. So, yeah. but why
0: was, why was killing time watching? Uh, Justice League Throne of Atlantis and
1: which uh, is amazing by the way
0: it is it's it's I so far I'm very impressed with the DC animated universe
1: I've always liked the uh the DC version I've always liked you know what they do with it Uh, and I like the fact that they actually refer to Raish as Mm Raish and not Ross um so you know I I have nothing bad to say about the animated universe
0: yeah, and you know, I, I uh, was a really big fan of, you know, I mean, I, I didn't read all of the New 52 when they started the New 52, but I loved the Batman Court of Owls series. I loved the Superman stuff. I loved the Green Lantern stuff. And I loved the Aquaman stuff. And this this movie was basically a, um, a based on like the first six to 12 issues of that Aquaman relaunched the New 52. And it was done perfectly, in my opinion. I mean, I could do it without Shazam being in there, but other than that...
1: <laughs> Shazam or Billy Basting? Because I don't mind Shazam, but when he's the kid, I get a little annoyed.
0: Um, I, I just I, I, think Shazam, I think Shazam is kind of superfluous when you already got Superman on the team. Oh, fair enough. Because he was basically just a... Uh, You know,
1: he's basically just Superman with lightning bolts. Oh, wow. So this is breaking news that I just got. AEW is uh, planning to air their pay-per-view on May 23rd. Double or nothing event is planned to relocate from the MGM. um, My guess is to Florida. But they're planning on airing it as done. As, you know, whether it's live crowd or not, I guess. We'll see, but it is still planning to go on as, as expect.
0: Interesting. Very interesting. So I guess we'll see how that goes.
1: Right, exactly. Okay. So guys, next week, you know, we'd plan to talk about our wrestlers of the year so far. And, um, because of current circumstances, uh, some of that might have changed uh, we've actually talked about it and we're thinking of including all wrestlers including the ones we've watched on you know specials and um some of the back episodes of thing, things we've watched so next week uh look forward to that because we're going to probably have a pretty decent discussion as far as you know that goes um also and, 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 and to contribute to that've got also, we've also got Indy Mania day two to talk about Oh, yes, we do. And I'm looking forward to it because we got Bucks, we got Omega, we got all kinds of greatness happening. I'm pretty, um, sure, we have,
0: I'm pretty sure we have two Will Ospreay matches on that show.
1: Oh, my including,
0: God. Including the opening, Will Ospreay versus Pete Dunne.
1: Okay, I'm going to give a sneak peek to uh, uh, next week. Osprey has solidified himself over the last couple of matches that we've seen outside of this whole shutdown as my favorite wrestler this year. Bar none.
0: Yeah, he is definitely mine, in mind, too. And, and, you know, I sent you a list last night, and you said I have a hard time disagreeing with it. But then I, but then something else you sent me earlier today made me think, okay, so I'm going to have to revamp that list because I think number two would probably be Edwards at this point. I, I'm
1: having a because hard because time. Because
0: I, because I love that best of five a lot more than you.
1: And I, I'm having a hard time with Edwards not being the top five conversation. I, I know the original list, and you know, I'll kind of run, you know run it down. We had David Richards in there, we had ZSJ, obviously uh, Osprey at number one, and we had Roderick Strong. But when I'm thinking about the matches we've seen this year, Eddie Edwards has been strong. In every single match he's had, his two against Daniels, his Michael Elgin, and the Michael Elgin series, and then his match against Davey Richards and against Roderick Strong, it's hard for me not to say that Eddie Edwards is one of the best wrestlers I've seen this year.
0: And don't forget, we helped uh, Eddie Edwards and uh, Davey Richards team up as the American Wolves against against, uh, the world's greatest tag team
1: as well. That's right. Yeah, we did. We did. So, I mean, you know, and tonight we have our, uh, we're revamping the Patreon series. So you guys got a free month in April. You're probably not going to get one in May because we're starting to do this again. Um, But tonight we're going to talk about Eddie Edwards versus Davey Richards. And I think both of us have some strong opinions on that. So you'll get to hear that tonight. Hopefully I'll have um, that up tonight.
0: I've said at least three times on this show, it's my match of the year in 2011. So, um If you want to hear more of why that is, tune to the Patreon show.
1: Right. Exactly. And that's coming up next. Exclusively on Patreon.com slash Kingdom of Honor. Go there, subscribe, donate to us. Um, It helps us out keeping everything alive. And we might have some more big things coming along. Um, We talked a little bit about it before the show. We're going to talk a little more in depth and uh, see what we can accomplish. Also, YouTube, if you're listening right now, please Hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, ring the notification bell, and uh, share it to all your friends, because we really want to build this YouTube channel as well. And of course, I finally, finally, after five days, got back into my Twitter. Somebody hacked it. They uh, put up some posts that I did not approve, and then um, I got back in. So, um, back into my Twitter, it's at Rigi co Uh, he is at Sandman LOP, use the hashtag DAD and the hashtag KOH, uh, to follow us on all that stuff.
0: Um, I don't know if you saw this, but I was having an exchange earlier with a couple other LOP guys and, uh, one of them had a great line where you said, I gotta find it again here, but, uh, yeah, um, God, I suck at Twitter. Yeah. So I said, if you can't send all the talent, you find a way to use what you have. And then he said, exactly. WWE has been like a supermarket panic buyer. So much wastage.
1: That's not untrue.
0: <laughs> no. It, it's awesome and topical.
1: <laughs> they are stocking up on toilet paper at this point. <laughs> that, makes, that makes perfect sense, and I'm not going to disagree with that statement. Whoever said it is a genius. <laughs>
0: Uh, so, so so tomorrow night, we are doing our first ever live watch-along with AEW Dynamite, and we're going to be doing our alternate commentary of uh, Jeff's frenemy, Jim Ross, commentating an open arena match between uh, John Moxley and Jake Hager for the you WWE know World Championship.
1: On a side note, you're never going to get a more instant reaction than that show tomorrow night.
0: That is correct. Um and then on Thursday, we will, we will have M's Radio Adventure on Friday. The return, the return, I say, of WWF, the Legacy Series by Ms. Fan and The Mystic. And then we'll be right back with, with you next week with Kingdom of Honor. And make sure you stay tuned to our, our Patreon we'll be doing shortly here tonight as well. That's all we've got. We'll try to do better next time. This is Shane saying long days, pleasant nights. And Jeff saying...
1: Goodbye. G1 Climax 27. Goodbye. And good night.